Hello, and welcome to the Replacement Level Podcast. I am your host, Rafael Nagnowitzki, along with Matt Johnson, my fellow host. We are both current writers at a sports site called sportsnot.com. Check it out. A lot of, a lot of good contact, c- content, a lot to read, a lot of fun. Matt, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. You know, excited to be here. Excited to get this started right before the playoffs start. Yeah, I mean, listen, playoffs taking effect tomorrow night. A lot to talk about, a lot to cover. So, firstly, I think we should take a look at the postseason bracket and how things will pan out. Matt, when you take a look at these matchups, per se, let's take the Guardians and Rays. So, at the end of the day, what... One of the teams are coming out, and they're going to have to face the Yankees, which obviously you don't want to face the Yankees. A dreaded lineup, very heavy power, and that's not a team which your pitchers want to face. So let's break it down. So game one, the Rays are putting out Shane McClanahan, who has obviously suffered shoulder and neck injuries in 2022 this season and hasn't really been too healthy, although besides his injuries, 2.54 ERA and 194 Ks, which is arguably a Cy Young caliber level. And Glasnow, I, th- I saw was game two. Game three, if they need a game three, then they'll go not sure who to go with. Maybe Kl- maybe Kluber. Uh, not sure. But um, take away with the Guardians. See what they have. Matt, what are the Guardians got? Yeah, you know, the Guardians, and first of all, one thing we have to say with the Guardians, this is a team that, in that AL Central, they they were kind of fighting off the White Sox, kind of fighting off the Twins all year, but then they became one of the hottest teams on September and just rolled it, rolled it, rolled it into the postseason, clinched that division. Importantly, clinched home field advantage throughout this entire series. So if it goes three games, all three games will be in Cleveland. Game one, they're going to turn to Shane Bieber, a guy who kind of got off to a rough start this year, but really turned it around later on. He wasn't quite the Cy Young guy we've seen before, but he really built his way back into that ace of rotation. Game two, they still haven't decided who it's going to be. They haven't announced it yet, but you would think a guy like Tristan McKenzie, who so the frame is so thin, but he just throws heaters and has just been nastier with each, each passing season. So I think he would be the guy we see in game two. Game three would be Cal Quantrill. Not a high strikeout guy. Relies on generating a lot of weak contact. But, you know, against the Rays, hey, that could work. And that would be game three if necessary. Yeah, I also want to add, if you look at their team, they have so much depth. It's it's quite remarkable. Quite remarkable. You know, they have, I think a lot of, a lot of their guys in the lineup are, are simply, they know they're unsung talents, really. You know, they have Oscar Gonzalez, Josh Naylor, Andres Jimenez, who is arguably the best second baseman. Stephen Kwan, what a rookie year by that guy. And then Ahmed Rosario, who was really hot. And really hot for, for uh, I think it was like last month in August. He was hot. And he, you know, he was getting on base day by day. And, you know, even, even their bullpen, like their bullpen is a fear factor. You know, you have a guy like James Karinchak. Like, that guy is a, is a, is a beast. And then Andy Aldo Santos, 
you know, Trevor Stefan, Class A, Class again, Class A led the league in saves, and that is definitely something to consider. And you know, really, if you look at the team, they have so much depth, and I, th I think that the that the Guardians are being slept on, and I, I, I again, it's yet to see how they'll perform in the, in the postseason, facing all this talent. But I, I, I have to say, I really like the Guardians. Well, you know, one thing you mentioned with the Guardians is just so much unsung talent, and you look at how some of these guys got here. Josh Naylor came from via trade with the San Diego Padres. Jimenez came from this big blockbuster deal with the Mets that everyone thought the Mets won because, hey, they got Francisco Lindor. But here's Cleveland looking like they easily won the trade, or it was a win-win for both sides. Quan was a fifth-round pick. Oscar Gonzalez signed for only a $300,000 signing bonus, which, considering how much guys like that junior get, isn't much. So, and he was signed in 2014, so it's just... These guys who they find them in their own special ways, they're not big names when they sign or when they acquire them by trade, but they just have another organization that knows how to identify and develop talent, and it's led them back to the postseason once again. Yeah, I think that's that's kind of similar with the Rays. You know, the Rays, Kevin Cash has always been praised for putting together, you know, a solid squad, and the Rays have also been lauded for bringing in such like talent who I don't think anyone would ever bet on. And you know, guys like Isaac Paredes who had a really nice stretch and he, he had like I think it was something like four five home runs in like six games, something like that. But guys like Isaac Paredes, Manuel Margot, Harold Ramirez, Harold Ramirez, like those guys, like no one would ever bet on them. And it's I think it's kinda of cool how some teams take a big bet and they roll the dice and it pans out. Yeah, and you, you mentioned how these teams acquire them. I mean, you look at MLB, Major League Baseball did this. The Cleveland Guardians, their roster, it's, you know, you see so many teams like the Dodgers where so much of their production comes from free agents. Cleveland, it's basically every single player was either homegrown, acquired via trade, or drafted. Rays, same thing. And it's just, yeah, you mentioned Isaac Paredes. That was a trade that no one really thought much of. You look at the trade when they uh, drew Rasmussen, who they acquired. You know, people thought, well, wait, why are you giving away Willie Thomas? You're giving away a star. But here's Drew Rasmussen. Here's guys like Jeffrey Springs who just emerge out of nowhere from bullpen guys into, oh, now they're number three starters for the race. It's it's incredible. And it's fitting that yeah. these two teams are going head to head. Yeah, it's pretty remarkable. Okay, next. We head to the four and five seed, which comprises the Seattle Mariners and the Blue Jays. So, I think that what for the Mariners, the objective is really just hitting home runs, because you know when you kind of look at their lineup, they don't have guys who hit for average. Suarez two thirty six, Kyle Raleigh two eleven, Santana one ninety two, Winker. 219. I think I made my point. You, you obviously have to consider Julio Rodriguez, who is the consensus AL MVP, 284 slash line, 284, 345, and 509. And he obviously he did miss some time with that back injury. But uh, Ty France also, he played, he had a really, uh, really underrated season actually, 276, 340, and 437. And, but if you really just Look at their lineup. It's not; they don't have the depth. Jared Kelnick was quite a bust. There's still 
waiting to see the Adam Fraser that they originally signed on that contract, big contract when they got him from the Padres. But, you know, I, I think what they need to do is their pitching obviously needs to pitch effectively. Their bullpen is quite the fear factor. And, you know, the rotation as well. Like, game one, Matt, uh, Luis Castillo, that's an assured seven shutty. Then game two, Robbie Ray, his strikeouts, he needs to accumulate some strikeouts. He needs to, his strikeout rate needs to go up in the playoffs. He needs to control his repertoire, needs to be controlled, and he can't get out of hand because if he gets out of hand, then it won't end well. And game three would be Logan Gilbert. Also a pretty nice season, but not what he expected to. So for the Blue Jays, Matt, I think we know what they need to do, but I think there's more to it. So hit me. Yeah, you know, you mentioned with the Blue Jays, and because one thing, this is one, you know, covering trade deadline, covering all the second half of the season. One criticism I had of them is that they really didn't do much to address the rotation. They were kind of betting on Jose Barrios turning things around. That didn't happen. Ross Stripling, he's done pretty well. But if you look at the final month of the season, Toronto ranked 18th in the majors in starting rotation ERA. And that was the worst among the playoff teams. And that's going to be a major concern for them going forward. They have a strong bullpen. They have a lineup that, if it's hot, no one is stopping them. But it's also a right-handed heavy lineup, and there's some risk with that. So what you have here, because you mentioned with the Mariners too, is it's that low average lineup. You know, we were talking about stats. They were 23rd in batting average in the final month of the season. AL rookie of the year, Julio Rodriguez. He's He had a huge first half. He kind of, between the injuries and everything, he cooled down a bit in the second half. So what version of this Mariners team are you going to get? Are you going to get the team that is able to tee off on the Blue Jays pitchers and get those home runs, get those big outs? And then, as you mentioned, the bullpen, hey, if the Mariners have a 5-2 lead going to the seventh inning, it's lights out. They have so, so many bullpen offense that they can just throw at you that it's going to be over. I don't care how good your lineup is. But if, the, if this homer-prone lineup can't make that loud contact, then it's going to it's gonna be it for them. Then it's going to be a, hey, you know, this is a young team. Congrats on being this far. Congrats on ending your 20-year playoff drought, but it's ending here. It, it's all going to depend on if this lineup can consistently produce that power. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think if you compare the two rosters, it's kind of pretty much not close at all. If you take a look at the Blue Jays roster, we have Pachette, Springer, Matt Chapman, who went on a complete tear before the season ended. And he kind of showed that what he can do and how this how, how his ceiling is higher than what he how he's played this season. Then you obviously have Vladdy and I think a surprise to all, Alejandro Kirk, who kind of surprised the baseball world. And not many expected him to have the season that he had. And I think that he is the X factor for the Blue Jays roster this season. And I, I think, you know, their playoff history in the past few years, you know, 2021, 20, they didn't make the playoffs. 2020, they lost in the in the AL wild card. 2019, didn't make it. 2018. So they, they haven't had a ton of playoff experience the past few seasons. So I'm not so sure how that's going to pan out this year. But 
I'm kind of excited with how their rotation will pan out. So game one is going to be Manoa. I love Manoa this year. I think he's, his approach to the game and just how he reacts kind of gives him, you know, like a sense of confidence. And then we got game two. They are giving the ball to undecided. And game three is also undecided. So I'm kind of excited to see who they'll put out there. I think that Ross Tripling has a chance to make an appearance. I think that his stats have definitely proved that he can compete with, you know, three ERA this year. And compared to last year, 4.80. The year before, 6.32. So I think he, he's kind of shown that age isn't really it's just a number he's 32 and i i think that he's definitely someone to consider and the bullpen also what does the bullpen got right and yeah that's one thing i think because we'll probably see gossman in game two and then game three what they could do kind of taking a raise like approach is stripling you see how many innings he can give you if he gets you four to five shutout innings great then you go to that bullpen for the closeout game and hopefully put it away yeah and i think if you take a look at the at the blue jays bullpen they do have a few guys who can assure you three four shutty you know a guy like obviously jordan jordan romano he's obviously the closer but he is a lights out. He was lights out all year. Then you have a guy like Adam Simber, unsung. You have a guy like Zach Zach Pop, but they got from the they got from the Marlins. And well, they don't have the depth in the bullpen. I think they have a few guys who are reliable. And additionally, Anthony Bass, who was also paired with Zach Pop, he has also been very solid. But I think at the end of the day, it's all about the durability of these starters and how long Alec Manoa can actually go. Because if the Mariners get to him early, you're going to have to turn to that bullpen. And while they do, I did I did mention that they do have a few guys who can pitch a couple, you know, four, three, four innings, but it's going to end up not having these guys available for the following days. So you're going to need Manoa and Gosman to pitch six, seven innings if they're going to want to have the, if they're going to have these guys pitch on both days, because the postseason is, is a, is, is, is quite agonizing and it's not easy. You know, the regular season you're, you have your beat, but the postseason it's, there's not one seat open in the stands. So you're going to have that pressure and the intensity is going to be way up there. So, I think that's what the Blue Jays really need to do. Absolutely. You know, one thing also with the postseason is fans have to remember there is a quick pull. If a guy is struggling in the first inning and they're just, they don't, a manager doesn't have a lot of confidence, he will pull him in that first inning. It, it might hurt the bullpen, but we're talking about a three game series where, hey, if you fall down, if you lose one game, Guess what? Game two is elimination, so you have to get these outs now. You have to put yourself in the best position to win. And if that means pulling your starter after two innings, you have to do it. And one thing you can't say for Toronto, because they have Kikuchi, they have guys in that bullpen who can't eat multiple innings, so they can't survive it. But it's all going to come down to 
what are we going to see more? Are we going to see the Blue Jays rotation step up in the postseason? Or are we going to see the Mariners lineup set, step up with more power and more consistent contact? Yeah. All right, so now we take a look at the counterpart, the National League. So I think the most exciting matchup will obviously be the Mets and Padres, but we'll take a look at that after. I do, I am kind of anxious with the Cardinals and Phillies because it happened to like both of those teams. But I think for the Phillies, Bryce Harper, he hasn't been the Bryce Harper the MVP Bryce Harper in September, October, he's hit 196 with just three hits. That's not the Bryce Harper that that's not the MVP Bryce Harper, and I don't think that's what the Phillies really want, especially for the postseason. But I think one upside for the Phillies is that you have those that trio of Schwarber, Hoskins, and Ramuto, who have really been monsters all year you know Ramuto had a 2020 season 20 home runs 21 stolen bases like that's not something you see from your typical catcher Hoskins also 30 home runs he did bat 246 but his slugging was 462 that's quite respectable so I, I don't I'm not worried too much about the Phillies lineup per se they do Alec Bohm has had a Quite, quite a nice year. Castellanos is a puzzling year, considering the years, the prior years that he had. He did end up batting two sixty three. He hit he hit thirteen home runs, but I don't think it's the season that they expected. Segura, as well, he did miss a chunk of the season, but he is quite a piece to this roster. And I think the sh- shortstop position isn't so clear they they had bryson stott but i don't think that's long term so i'm guessing that they're going to go look for a shortstop at the end of the year but pitching wise i'm kind of excited for you know the phillies pitching zach wheeler has been fantastic for them all year that's game one game two nola i happen to love nola i love his stuff i love how he incorporates a variety of pitches and Game three, Ranger Suarez. I do happen to like Suarez, but uh, I don't know. Maybe they'll go. Maybe they'll, they'll have him go five, six innings, and then maybe they'll put in Syndergaard, but I doubt it. So, Matt, what are you looking at for the series? Yeah, you know, one thing I'm looking at, and this is Philly snapping its ten-year playoff drought. One, first of all. Getting that monkey off their back is great. But another thing we have to look at. In the final month and a half of the season, the Phillies were 14 and 17. And you look at how they did enough of those final weeks. Lost a series to Atlanta. Lost, split a series with Toronto. Split a series with Atlanta. Lost. And then they beat up on bad teams. So my question is, what version of the Phillies are we going to see? Are we going to see the team that beat up on bad baseball teams and kind of struggled against the real contenders? Because if so, this is a St. Louis Cardinals team that is experienced as heck, that is rallying around the fact that this is Yachty and Pujols last season. They won win in the ring. Cardinals have the experience. They have the pitching. They have the depth. They have two MVP caliber bats in their lineup. 
they have an explosive bullpen. So I'm very interested to see if the Phillies are ready for this. Because, listen, they have those two starters that you can feel good about. They have some depth and talent at the top of the lineup. But when push comes to shove, are they going to be ready for October baseball? And that's a question that, as of now, I think the answer is no. Yeah, I think that's definitely something that you need to consider. So I something you mentioned, the Cardinals and their lineup and the experience that they have. So I wanted to talk about, I wanted to dive into three specific players that I happen to love. I happen to love Nolan Gorman. I happen to love their their young guys, Nolan Gorman, Yepes, and Brendan Donovan. I love all three of those guys because they all have adapted quite quickly to the major leagues. Gorman hit 14 home runs this year. His average wasn't what they want. What wasn't the goal that he wanted to meet? He hit 226, but obviously it'll only go up from there. You take Brendan Donovan. He hit 281, and I I think the the real question would be what the Gorman Gorman or Donovan who would you start so Matt who are you taking Donovan or Gorman yeah you know there was a lot of excitement when Gorman came up because I mean this is a dude who St. Louis believes can be a franchise caliber player and for understandable reasons but I do have concerns with him for one defensively it, it feels very shaky and depending on the matchups, you'll want to have more flexibility with that designated hitter spot. And Gorman, it's if he's not going to be able to defend for me, then I'm going to need something big with the bat. And while the power is there, the downside is he's had strikeout problems throughout his career. He was striking out in 33% of his bats in the majors this year with a 2.26 average. So that's a real that's a real hesitation for me. I feel I feel like I'd prefer him to come off the bench. I do understand that. I do. I do. I do understand that. But so the next matchup is obviously what we mentioned before: the San Diego Padres and the New York Mets. Firstly, off the bat, we know that the Braves outmatched the Mets ten to nine in the season series. That three-game series, I, I don't think I've ever paid attention to baseball. So much of my life. I think I, I watched like every second of that series. <laughs> I mean, it was pretty fun to observe. And it was quite a fun series. I think that uh, that obviously decided the fate of the division. Not I mean, obviously not until the Braves clinched on Friday when they beat the... Not, when they beat the Marlins to clinch the division. But I think that kind of showed, that series kind of showed who is the better team and who can play better when it comes to it. So I think what the Mets need to do is they just need to play the New York Mets, what they've played all season. Their pitching and hitting has been extraordinary. Jeff O'Neill obviously won the batting title. He won the end of batting title, and he won the league batting title. Alonso hit 40 home runs. Scherzer and DeGrom. Obviously, Scherzer is getting game ball for game one. 
which is not... And then game two would obviously probably be DeGrom. And then game three is either Taiwan Walker or Carrasco. Matt hit me with the Mets. Yeah, you know, the Mets, and it's... I mean, think about it. We also have to go back a few months ago. This team had a double-digit lead in the division. It seemed like they were cruising. They were just going to coast. And then it started to... They started to peter out a bit. Then you see in September, series lost to the Nationals, getting swept by the Chicago Cubs at City Field, you know, struggling against the Oakland Athletics, struggling against the Miami Marlins. It's like, where did that dominant team go? Because this is another thing about the Mets. Everyone loves the rotation. We're talking about two future Hall of Famers. You've got Chris Bassett, who played an all-star level. Then you've got great pitching behind that. But the lineup, the lineup, they never added that big bat at the trade deadline. You know, they were hoping that guys like Darren Ruff could come off the bench and be that platoon guy. And now they're not even committing to Darren Ruff being on the roster. So the question is, will this team get those timely hits? Because we know, listen, we saw what happened against Atlanta. DeGrom, Scherzer, they weren't at their peak form, but they pitched pretty well. But these this Mets lineup couldn't produce anything. They could do nothing against Atlanta. So now we're going to see. San Diego had the second lowest starting rotation ERA in September. They are scorching hot right now. They are mowing down lineups. So we're going to have a hot pitching staff versus a frigid cold lineup. And that's kind of, history says that this is going to go to San Diego. But man, I'll just say I've always been the believer in betting on pitching in October. And I can't turn down DeGrom, Scherzer, Bassett. I can't. I just, I've seen those guys do it too many times where I have to bet that they would take this. Yeah, so I just kind of, I kind of want to add on what you just mentioned on how DeGrom and Scherzer weren't at their peak form. So I think that kind of alludes to how they may perform in the playoffs because, well, you, you said that you've seen, we've all seen them play in, in the playoffs, you've all seen how they do, but this season, I don't know, that, that Braves series kind of gives me a sense of, you know, they had a bad series. We don't know how they're going to play in the playoffs. We know how they played previously in the playoffs. But at the end of the day, it all comes down to how the Padres react to the duo of Scherzer and DeGrom. You know, the Padres lineup has slowly began to heat up. Obviously, they're a little kind of disappointed on how Soto has played this year. He obviously isn't the player that they traded for and that they gave their entire system for, for Juan Soto. And then you have a guy like Haseon Kim, who had the most improved season by the Padres and arguably the most improved player in the National League. He hit 251, 325, and 383 with a... 290 bat pip. So he will definitely be a play a critical role in the playoffs. Manny Machado had a 
an awesome year. And I think if, if you look at the lineup, it's obviously not as talented and not as deep as the Mets, per se. But the pitching, like you said, they had the second to lowest ERA in the last month of the season. The pitching. You know, obviously, starting pitchers are the most important when the postseason comes around. You got you have you Darvish, you have Blake Snell, you have Joe Musgrove. Manaya wasn't the player that they got from the A's that he was in previous years. You have Clevenger, the bullpen's solid. Nick Martinez can eat up innings. Twenty point four K rate this year. His walk rate isn't too bad. He definitely is an option out of the bullpen. And I think overall it will boil down to how Darvish and Snell perform in games one and game two because they are playing a mess lineup that, as you said, hasn't performed like they wanted to. And as I expected, I think Showalter expected more out of them in their Brave series and that they didn't come up and they didn't execute in any of those three games. So I'm, I'm actually kind of excited to see how that plays out. Let me ask you this. One thing that I'm also keeping in mind here is you look at all these playoff teams. The Mets, for example, they have a run differential in season plus 166. Atlanta Braves, plus 180. St. Louis Cardinals, plus 135. Los Angeles Dodgers out of stratosphere with 334. San Diego Padres are only plus 45, and they're 38 and 44 against teams that are 500 or better on the season. Does that concern you? That definitely does concern me. That is definitely a concern because when the postseason comes, you need to score runs. Runs are essential. If you don't score runs, you're not winning the playoffs. You're pitching. If your pitching holds up, that's great. But if your bats don't execute and your decks, your bats don't provide, we've seen in previous years that the teams that win it all are the teams that outslug. The Braves last year, they outslugged the, they, they, they outslugged the Astros. We see that that all comes down to if you can hit. So pitching is obviously an important role. It's obviously a critical role. But I think it really all comes down to if your lineup can provide. And you know, I'm kind of going off topic here. Again, I kind of re- I want to reiterate that for the Mariners, you know, for the Padres, if you don't hit, that's a problem. So that's why I'm kind of concerned that, you know, these teams in the playoffs that don't have the high average, they don't get on base too often. It's kind of concerning, especially when you're going against those elite guys, going against Alec Manoa, going against Max Scherzer. So it, it's kind of concerning. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one last thing before I think we do all these good people, our predictions, as I will say. In September, you mentioned slugging. San Diego Padres, 17th. Right above them, Cleveland Guardians, 386. Nah, those are things we got to keep in mind because these are some concerning, concerning numbers, especially if the pitching doesn't deliver. Yeah, that is for sure. Okay, so now that we have covered the postseason, obviously the Astros and the Yankees and the Dodgers and the Braves all have passes 
to the ALDS. They won't need to appear in the wild card. So we will cover that next week when that happens. So another topic, which is quite obvious, and it's simply the elephant in the room. I think we should discuss Aaron Judge. I think it's it's been quite it's it's really been like a nervous wreck for Judge. You know, he's all this tension has built up, has accumulated for him over the past few weeks. You know, everyone's anticipating that 60-second home run and he finally hits that 60 60-second 60 home run. It's you know, it's it's like a certain relief to an like a to a certain degree. Like now he can actually be the player be the player that he is, you know, he can play at his peak form because he doesn't have that he doesn't have that burden on his shoulders. Like I you know, I have to hit six two, I have to. So I think if you look at his season, he hit three eleven 425 OPB, 686 slugging, 207 WRC plus. That means he outplayed everyone by 107%. 90 extra base hits. He led the league in every single stat except from RBIs, which he tied, which was matched by Alonso, 131. An average, which he landed fifth. The, the order went McNeil, 326. Then it was Freddie, Goldie, and Luisa Rise who beat him out by five points, which would have commended Judge for the Triple Crown. So, I think when Judge, over that stretch when Judge, you know, he was walking a ton. And I remember after one of the, after one of the games against the Red Sox, I remember after game one when they walked him three times in that game, Cora got up and said, I'm quoting him. We will attack him. The game will dictate what we do. So after that season, after that series against the Red Sox, he was walked 15 times in 10 over that 10 game span. He was walked 15 times, and in that, I I think as at certain point in September, his walk rate went up to 25.2 percent, and everyone was scrutinizing him. You know, against the Orioles, he did strike out. A lot happened to be he struck out a lot and he struggled in that series because he wanted to get that 60 second home run. But now that he has, I think it's quite it happened at the perfect time. Especially for the Yankees, they need Judge, they need his presence, and they can't have, you know, him thinking about that, oh, oh I didn't get that 60 second home run. So I think now that he did, it's kind of like a burden off his shoulders. And Matt, what do you think about? Him hitting his second sixty-second home run, now, and it happened really at the perfect time. Yeah, so there are mixed reactions for me from the sixty-second home run because, on the surface, remove every outside noise from the equation. Doing this in a contract year is it's an all-time great contract year. I mean, you want to talk about proving yourself. I can't think of another year like this. Doing this, hitting 62 home runs with the pitching where it's at today is even more phenomenal. This is one of the most incredible seasons in modern baseball history. It deserves to be remembered. It deserves to have its own documentary. All of that. 
And now is where I'm going to be the negative Nancy. Because for as wonderful as this is, it was ruined for two reasons. One, because ESPN insisted on cutting into every at-bat late in the season, with which was college football games, whatever it was. It wasn't that significant to where you need to cut in with things. Two, the debate over is this the new single season record. And I get why Yankees fans want it to be that. It would be nice to add that to their record books. Because, you know, they want to pull Bond's record down because it was allegedly with steroids. They want to pull McGuire's record down. They want to pull Sosa's record down. They want to pull these individual players' records down. But here's the thing. There are two sides to every coin. And if we're going to take away player accomplishments because they use steroids, I believe we should be taking away team accomplishments who employed steroids. Because let's take a look at the Yankees World Series titles. 2009, A-Rod admitted to using steroids during his career. Andy Pettit admitted to using steroids during his career. Melky Cabrera, after his Yankees career, but he was once suspended for using steroids. Robinson Cano, recently was suspended for violating the league's performance-enhancing drug policy. Were these players specifically testing positive in 2009? No, but we also know Major League Baseball's testing policy wasn't nearly strong then. But let's go back further. The Yankees won World Series titles in 96, 98, 99, 2000. Andy Pettit, as said, admitted the use of HGH. Roger Clemens faces the very same PED allegations as Barry Bonds and is held out of the Hall of Fame because of them. Are we taking away the Yankees World Series titles? No. Chuck Knobloch, named in the Mitchell report, accused of receiving PEDs from Clemens' trainer. Are we taking away the Yankees World Series title because he was on the team? No. So my point is going to be, and this is just point one, if we are going to want to remove records and names from the history books of Major League Baseball because steroids were used, then we're going to have to rip World Series titles away too. And I don't, I don't think Yankees fans want that, especially with what's been happening in the last decade or so in the playoffs. I do have to agree with you. I think that is a very strong point that you made. You can't you can't retract history. You know, Bonds may have violated the drug enhancement principles. He was named in Mitchell Report. He had strong ties to the Bay Area Laboratory Cooperative. McGuire, he hit 70, 98. He admitted to steroids when he hit 70. Sosa, he never admitted but was tested positive in 2013. 2003 to be correct. And I think just to justify this, uh, Jeff Passan, the king of MLB Twitter, he tweeted, I saw a tweet earlier today, he said, it is a fact that Bonds used PEDs. It is also a fact that 73 balls he hit flew over the fence in 2001. One color is the other. It does not, it cannot erase it. So I think if you just analyze and take a look at that and I really internalize it. I think it kind of tells tells the whole story, and it kind of like you can't retract history. He hit seventy three home runs. They all flew over the fence. You can say you can have the you know the perspective, the notion that they shouldn't be counted. But what are you gonna do? 
tell him you didn't hit 73 home runs, but he did. You know, I obviously, from a Yankees standpoint, I'm a avid Yankees fan, so I do happen to want Judge to have sole possession of the record, but you can't retract something that happened. You know, it's not, it's not, Bonds was never punished for what he did. Bonds, it's not, they didn't, he wasn't suspended. And apparently he even flunked the drug test up until there was evidence that proved otherwise. Because if you, even if you were to ignore Sosa, Bonds, and McGuire, right? Well, let's say that, that it comes out at the end of the year that Judge Dick takes steroids. What are you going to do? Take his, take his, uh, take take his 62 hormones away also? I'm, obviously, I'm not to say that Judge did. I'm very doubtful that he didn't. But you can't take away something that happened. If it happened, it happened. Yeah, and one thing I will say is also, I think this gets lost in the discussion of we want to penalize players for taking steroids, which I get because we want to send better messages to kids, and I support that. But let's also look what baseball was, where it is. Bud Selig, as much as he did for baseball, listen, Major League Baseball didn't want to stop steroid use when Bonds McGuire were using them. Did they know? Sure they knew. But they also knew that the Bonds McGuire home run surge and chase, all of that, was phenomenal for baseball. It was worth millions and millions and millions of dollars. It made the league more popular. The league needed that. Everyone benefited from it. And if we're going to put managers who benefit benefit from PEDs by their players in the Hall of Fame, if we're going to put commissioners who benefited from players using PEDs to increase the league revenue and profits, if we're going to put all these people in the Hall of Fame, this is another large argument we can have another day. But I believe those very same players should keep their records, and they also deserve to be a spot in the Hall of Fame. We can put in the history books that they use steroids, but we also have to put in the history books that Major League Baseball allowed them to, and that this is all a part of history. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. I may disagree with the Hall of Fame part. I don't think that these guys should be in the Hall of Fame. But there's no real basis to say that you should take away what happened and that they, and it's kind of, you can't, you know, it's justifiable to say that they took PDs, you know, they all took drugs, they all tested positive, but it happened. So I think that that case is really closed. Um, I think we've covered a lot. And tonight and i think we should save everything for next week i'm excited for how the playoffs will turn out and i'm excited to cover it next week and i think we'll have a lot to talk about and i think we'll when we come into next week wednesday night we'll have a lot to discuss before we go do we want to to give our predictions for the wild card round let's i think we should i think let's do it lead us off here okay so for my Mariners and Blue Jays, I am going to go with the Toronto Blue Jays. For the Guardians and Rays, I happen to prefer the Rays considering their 
mediocre lineup and how they might not they might not damage the Yankees pitching staff too much, but I'm gonna go with the Guardians. And in the NL, I love the Phillies, but I think the Cardinals can outmatch them. So I'm gonna have to go Cardinals. And the Mets and Padres. I do love San Diego. I love the Padres, but I'm going to have to go to the Mets. You can't beat that Scherzer to Grom. You can't beat it. And if their lineup's hot, if Alonso's hot, if McNeil's hot, if Escobar can play like he did in the last month of the season, I don't see any way to beat them. So, Matt, what are you thinking? All right, so we'll start following in your order. I'm going to take the Toronto Blue Jays to advance. I'll say... Also didn't do it in three games with Luis Casillo winning game one and then Toronto winning the next two. Tampa Bay Rays series, I'm going to give it to Tampa Bay. They just have so many pitching advantages that they can use. They can go matchups. They can go platoons. They can do so many different things. I've got to give them in the edge. So that would put us Tampa Bay against the Yankees and then the Blue Jays against the Astros. Moving over to the National League, I'm going to have the Cardinals advancing. You have an experienced team. You have a team with multiple MVP players. You have a team with quality rotation. And you have a team that I think just plays better in October in the Philadelphia Phillies as well. So that gives me to push them forward. And the Mets-Padres series, again, this comes down to pitching. This comes down to me not trusting the San Diego Padres against quality competition. Me not trusting their lineup consistently producing against high-end starters. So I'll have the Padres advancing for an Atlanta versus St. Louis series and a Dodgers versus Mets series. And spoiler alert, I do not have any of the wildcard teams advancing to the championship series. <laughs> I'm going to have to agree with you on that. I think that the Astros and Yankees will end up playing each other, and the Dodgers and Braves as well. I think those are all four of those teams are predisposed to the, the NLCS, and I think it's kind of Assume that they'll make it, assuming that everything goes right. But at the end of the day, it's a postseason, and it's quite unpredictable. So we'll see you guys on, see you guys next week, and we'll have a lot to discuss.